Peace be upon you. One of the functions of the Quran is to serve as a statute book, a book of law. Not only does it have guidance for how to basically uh, achieve salvation hereafter, but one of the functions is also to give us guidelines to how to live and the laws we should abide by in any society, any submitting society. Uh, chapter 25 of the Quran is actually entitled The Statute Book, and the first verse reads, Most blessed is the one who revealed the statute book to his servant, so he can serve as a warner to the whole world. And 285, it reads, Ramadan is the month during which the Quran was revealed, providing guidance for the people, clear teachings, and the statute book. And one of the, the, the laws that God emphasizes very uh, thoroughly in the Quran is the process of writing a will and emphasizing just the importance of writing a will. Uh, because if you don't write a will, there's a lot of grievances that you're basically putting onto your descendants after you uh, and potentially your parents if you uh, pass before they do. And those hurdles, those hindrances can easily be overcome if you just write a clear will, uh, giving special attention to how you want to allocate your assets after you pass. And I've seen so many families torn apart, uh, going into lawsuits and just, uh, you know, going through all kinds of hardships because the will wasn't concise or wasn't even written. And uh, it's something that you, you do to avoid hardship for, you know, the people who um, who uh, continue living after you pass. And this is emphasized in chapter 2, verse 180 through 182. It, it reads, It is decreed that when death approaches, you shall write a will for the benefit of the parents and the relatives equitably. This is a duty upon the righteous. If anyone alters a will he had heard, the sin of altering befalls those responsible for such altering. God is here knower. If one sees gross injustice or bias on the part of the testator and takes corrective action to restore justice to the will, he commits no sin. God is forgiver, most merciful. And before getting into the verses of how, you know, if there is no will, God gives specific guidelines to how to basically allocate the, uh, the assets of the individual. Um, one of the key things to emphasize is the importance of bearing uh, witness to a will and uh, not bearing false witness at that. And in 5.106-108, through 108, it reads, Witnessing a will, and it gives specific criteria for what's to take place if someone is to witness a will. It says, O you who believe witnessing a will when one of you is dying shall be done by two equitable people among you. If you are traveling, then two others may do the witnessing. After observing the contact per salat, let the witnesses swear by God to alleviate your doubts. We will not use this to attain personal gains, even if the testator is related to us, nor will we conceal God's testimony, otherwise we would be sinners." If the witnesses are found to be guilty of bias, then two others shall be asked to take their places. Choose two persons who were victimized by the first witnesses and let them swear by God our testimonies more truthful than theirs. We will not be biased, otherwise we will be transgressors. This is more apt to encourage an honest testimony on their part, fearing that their oath may be disregarded like that of the previous witnesses. You shall observe God and listen. God does not guide the wicked. Now, what's awesome about this is that God is telling uh, the witnesses that before they witness, to first do the contact per salat, 
and then make a testimony that they swear that they're going to be uh, honest uh, witnesses to the uh, to the events. And Dan Arelli, who's a uh, famous behavioral econo- economist, uh, in his book The Honest Truth About Dishonesty, did a study where he found out that if people basically wrote down the Ten Commandments before uh, serving as a, you know an honesty test that they were more apt to be honest by thinking about morality and and specifically thinking about God. And this is something that, I mean, we see it in the the courtrooms today. They put their hand on the Bible and they swear uh, that, you know, they're going to be honest. But this has a direct effect to our our psyche, to the fact that when we, we do this, when we go that extra mile to make this testimony, to do our contact prayers before bearing witness, that it's more apt to, to, to provide a honest testimony. Now, obviously, some people are still going to be biased, and then God gives additional uh, cre- uh, credences to those individuals to not, you know, for one, that they were victimized by the first person. So they're going to be that much more astute to make sure that their testimony is that much accurate because they know what it's like to be a victim. And, you know, you would think that they're going to be more just in their decision, in their uh, witnessing, uh, because they know what it's like to be victimized. And in 4135, it's, uh, it's an entire verse um, in regards to not bearing false witness. This verse is actually uh, published uh, in the uh, Harvard Law School, and you know, which is one of the most prestigious institutions in the world, um, in front of their uh, faculty library. And it's described as one of the greatest expressions of justice in history. And it's in, from chapter 4, verse 135. It reads, O you who believe, you shall be absolutely equitable and observe God when you serve as witnesses, even against yourselves or your parents or your relatives. Whether the accused is rich or poor, God takes care of both. Therefore, do not be biased by your personal wishes. If you deviate or disregard this commandment, then God is fully cognizant of everything you do. And it's such an awesome verse that God is saying, don't even bear false witness against yourself or your relatives or your parents. And these are the people that obviously we love the most, right? We care the most about ourselves, our parents, our relatives. And God is telling us not to bear false witness, not to lie for a testimony. And that irrespective if the defendant is rich or poor, that God takes care of both. That we think we're doing, you know, in essence, someone justice by, oh, maybe I will uh, be favorable to them because I think they need the money more. God is telling us, don't do that. That God is the one who allocates the provisions. And um, this is, it's just, it's such a, uh, such an amazing verse uh, in the sense that, you know, we always have to put our moral integrity uh, at the top of the line to never, never uh, jeopardize, sacrifice uh, or uh, harm our integrity in the least, even when it comes to bearing witness against ourselves. So let's look at the verses in regards to the uh, what God says to do as far as the allocation of the uh, assets of a deceased individual if they did not leave a will, or if after they basically distributed the will, there's additional assets that still need to be accounted for. And God gives very specific guidelines. And these are one of the verses. It's very interesting. There's only, uh, it really constitutes down to three verses, but there's five that mention 
that talk about the will and the criteria for what you do as far as the distribution of the inheritance um, of an individual. And the, a lot of people, they look at these verses and they can't figure out how the allocation works out and they get to a percentage that exceeds 100% allocation. And uh, if you read a lot of these atheist blogs and uh, uh, basically uh, uh, people who fight the Quran, they cite this as a contradiction in the Quran. And it's quite comical because they don't go through the level of detail to actually look at what is God saying. God's words are incredibly exacting. And uh, God tells us in the Quran that anyone who chooses to disbelieve, that God will allow them to disbelieve and give them evidence to support their disbelief. Uh, it's just the way our minds are uh, wired, that whatever it is that we believe, we're going to find signs of confirmation for that belief. There's actually a name for that. It's called confirmation bias. And God tells us in the Quran in chapter 4, verse 82, says, Why do they not study the Quran carefully? If we were from other than God, they would have found in it numerous contradictions. And it's just, it's so hilarious that they, they point to these verses as signs of a contradiction. And by God's leave, the other week we were at a Quran study and we were reading these verses in regards to the distribution of the inheritance. And uh, we said, hey, let's just put this in a table, inshallah, we can publish it. And when we went through the process, you just see the level of detail uh, that God put, and it shows just how exacting God's words are. Um, and it's one of these things that, it, to me, it gave me a really good sense of uh, being able to follow the Quran to the T. That if God says something, he, he, he lays out the groundwork, um, that we don't deviate from that. And what's interesting, if we see a contradiction we have to realize that the contradiction isn't in the Quran, it's in our understanding. And we have to fix our understanding because God's words are concise, they're clear, uh, there is no contradictions. And the first thing that people do when they read the verses in regards to the, uh, uh, to the inheritance is that they weren't able to figure out how the distribution worked and they came up with allocations that exceeded 100% of the, uh, the, the net assets that were uh, left from the deceased. And they say, look, this is a proof that the Quran was, uh, um, it has a contradiction and it's not written by God. So God willing, let's read these verses and let's look at the scenarios that God has put forth um, for, uh, for us. And uh, inshallah, we'll be able to appreciate uh, God's Quran and uh, God's word and uh, the level of detail that God has put for us uh, that much more. And one of the major takeaways in the, uh, the inheritance rights uh, in the Quran is that it by and far uh, favors the women. The guidelines that are put in the Quran as far as the due shares that are uh, allocated predominantly fall upon the women. And it's to show that the women must get a definite share and we see this time and time again throughout history and in certain societies that the women, when the women are stripped of their property rights, uh, when the women do not have property rights to support them, that they are victimized, that they are classified as second-class citizens, and they aren't able to basically uh, get out of the situation where their, uh, their security, their well-being is all at threat. And in this chapter, chapter 4 of the Quran, entitled The Women, God makes special emphasis to make sure that the women's inheritance and the women's property rights 
are followed through and that they get their definite share. And these are the criteria that are spelled out when it talks about the distribution of the inheritance. And you'd be uh, very interested to find out that when it talks to the distribution of what the male gets, it's actually, there's a couple uh, points, but it's not nearly as emphasized and uh, advocated and clarified as far as what it is that the women, uh, including the spouse, the daughters, the, uh, uh, the mothers, uh, are due to get. So the first verse that talks about the, uh, the inheritance rights is in chapter 4, verse 7 uh, and 8. And it reads, women's inheritance rights. The men get a share of what the parents and relatives leave behind. The women too shall get a share of what the parents and relatives leave behind. Whether it is small or large inheritance, the women must get a definite share. During distribution of the inheritance, if relatives, orphans, and needy persons are present, you shall give them therefrom and treat them kindly. So what these two verses are telling us is that during the inheritance, the distribution of the inheritance, that the women must get their definite share, that they cannot be neglected. In, in the following verses, we'll see that consistently it's talking about the definite share the women must get. Irrespective of what is given to others, the women must get a definite share. And in addition, it's talking about the inheritance, uh, you know, if there's uh, relatives, orphans, needy persons present during the distribution, that they should get a share too and treat them kindly. But it doesn't specify a specific share. Um, so it's something that we have to take in consideration. We have to follow the, uh, the guidelines of the Quran to the T. In chapter 4, verse 11 and 12, it reads, If no will is left, God decrees a will for the benefit of your children. The male gets twice the share of the female. If the inheritors are only women, more than two, they get two-thirds of what is bequeathed. If only one daughter is left, she gets one-half. The parents of the deceased get one-sixth of the inheritance each. If the deceased has left any children, if he left no children, and his parents are the only inheritors, the mother gets one-third. If he has siblings, the mother gets one-sixth. All this after fulfilling any will, the deceased has left, and after paying off all debts. When it comes to your parents and your children, you do not know which of them is really the best to you and the most beneficial. God's, uh, this is God's law. God is omniscient, most wise. So again, this is what we are to do as submitters, assuming that, you know, basically there is no will is left, or what is left of the inheritance after the will is carried through. Let's say, you know, someone uh, leaves a will, they, they uh, leave certain assets, and there's, you know, additional assets that they forgot or didn't have time or uh, didn't come around to allocating. God is telling us exactly how to split this up. And we're going to go into detail, uh, sentence by sentence, looking at these different scenarios that are spelled out. And uh, this, in verse 11, is talking predominantly about the, uh, the inheritance for the children and then also for the mother. Um, in 4.12, uh, it talks about the inheritance for the spouse and then also the single individual. So 4.12 says, inheritance for the spouses. If you get half of what your wives leave behind, if they had, uh, if they had no children, if they had children, you get one-fourth of what they leave. All this after fulfilling any will they had left and after paying off all debts. They get one-fourth of what you leave behind if you had no children. If you had children, they get one-eighth of what you bequeath. All this after fulfilling any will you had left, 
and after paying off all debts, if the deceased man or woman was a loner and leaves two siblings, male or female, each of them gets one-sixth of the inheritance. If there are more siblings, then they equally share one-third of the inheritance. All this after fulfilling any will and after paying off all debts so that no one is hurt. This is a will decreed by God. God is omniscient, clement. And in the last verse of chapter 176, it continues to how to basically distribute the, the inheritance of an, a single individual. Uh, and it says, they consult you, say, God advises you concerning the single person. If one dies and leaves no children, he had a sister, she gets half of the inheritance. If she dies first, he inherits from her if she left no children. If there were two sisters, they get two-thirds of the inheritance. If the siblings are men and women, the male gets twice the share of the female. God thus clarifies for you, lest you go astray. God is fully aware of all things. So one of the, the criticisms that a lot of people hear is like, you know, why is it that the male gets twice the share of the female? And the simple answer is that for the most part, the men are made responsible for the women. And again, this is a will. This is the, uh, the inheritance if no will is left. Someone can decide in a will to give their daughter everything. And that's absolutely up to them. Uh, in which case, the male gets nothing and the daughter gets everything. But this is what is to take place. And it has to serve a general purpose if no will is left or if there's additional assets after the will is allocated. So what are some of the major takeaways from this? Um, we put together a table, inshallah we'll post it on the Quran uh, uh, Talk website. Um, you can actually find it at the QuranStudy19.com website uh, under inheritance. And we basically mapped out all the different criteria for any of the four uh, deceased categories that are described in the Quran. And the deceased categories are the deceased husband, the deceased wife, the deceased uh, single individual that's male, and the deceased single individual that's female. And the people who basically will inherit from these are the children, uh, the, uh, the spouse, the parent, the mom, and the dad, um, and then the siblings. And then we know that if also there's relatives, orphans, or needy people, uh, to treat them kindly, you know, to uh, God advocates giving to charity, but a specific share is not put. Now, when doing this table, the criteria that has to be met is that you cannot get a scenario where more than 100% is allocated uh, because that it's a, a null hypothesis. So if you map it out and you find out that, hey, you, you've created a scenario that exceeds 100% of the inheritance, uh, you know that, you know, we've done something wrong. And the other reality is that the shares that are allocated don't necessarily need to meet 100%. Because God is only specifying the individuals who must get a definite share. Everything else beyond that can be extrapolated. But God is emphasizing the definite share, and in specifically, that the women should get during the inheritance. So they aren't victimized, and it's basically advocating strong property rights. Uh, not only towards the males, but to the females, because a society that does not have strong property rights uh, is not a society that's going to be prosperous. Um, Hernando de Soto, famous economist, has done all kinds of studies, highly recommend to go check out his work. Uh, he wrote a number of amazing books, uh, has given you know numerous talks 
uh, you can go on YouTube and just see the importance of property rights in a society. And let's break down these verses sentence by sentence and look at the different scenarios that God is covering. And um, the first one is that it says, if the inheritance are only women, more than two, they get two-thirds of what is bequeathed. Now, there's only several scenarios that when uh, someone passes, that they only leave inheritors that are women, at which case these women must get two-thirds of what is bequeathed. And the scenarios are if they had uh, daughters, sisters, or um, uh, a spouse, if it's a male, uh, or uh, you know, if the mother's still living, that amongst this group, they have to share two-thirds of the inheritance. And in the table, we basically mapped out the different scenarios and showed kind of how this would work out, that it's two-thirds. Now, what's awesome is that God is giving specific scenarios, irrespective if there's, uh, that it's only women inheritance, uh, inheritors, that they must get a definite share. Like it spells out exactly how much uh, the mother gets under certain uh, scenarios. So from that two-third chunk of the inheritance, if it's only women inheritors, uh, we can allocate exactly how much at a minimum the mother must get. Now, in the next sentence in chapter 4, verse 11, it says, if only one daughter is left, she gets one half. Now, the way I, we understood this uh, to mean is that in a scenario where the only inheritor is a single daughter, it has to be guaranteed that she gets one half of the inheritance. Um, now, could she get more? Sure. But her definite share that she must have access to is one half. And this is a scenario where uh, a mother dies or a father dies and there's only, no, there's no other inheritors. The only one that's left is a single daughter. In the following sentence, it reads, the parents of the deceased get one-sixth of the inheritance each if the deceased has left any children. So this is easy. If someone passes, it's a mother or father, they have uh, children, the definite share that the mother and father each get is one-sixth. So in aggregate, they get one-third. If he left no children and his parents are the only inheritors, the mother gets one-third. So God is saying here that if there is no children, the definite share that the mother gets is one-third. But if he has siblings, then the mother gets one-sixth. So if someone dies, like a father dies, and uh, the mother's still living, she gets one-third if there is no siblings. If there's a, a siblings, she gets one-sixth. And then in 4.12, it says, you, uh, the husband, get half of what your wives leave behind if they had no children. If they had children, the husband gets one-fourth of what, you, uh, what they leave. So again, it's covering the situation uh, of the husband um, what is left for the uh, uh, for the husband if the wife passes, assuming they had children or didn't have children. And then in the following sentence, it gives the opposite. And it guarantees what the wife gets if the husband passes, if they had children and had no children. It says, the wife gets one-fourth of what you, you, the husband, leave behind if you, the husband, had no children. If you, the husband, had children, uh, they, the wife, get one-eighth of what you, the husband, bequeath. Um, and this covers basically the scenarios between the husband and the wife and what they get. Because you're either going to have a, uh, if you're a husband or a wife, uh, and the uh, 
the spouse passes, there's only two scenarios. Either they had children or they didn't have children, in which case your definite share is specified. And God talks about the loner and the single individual, and this is in 412 and 4176. And it talks about the uh, the loner and the individual. If they had children, uh, if so, basically the criteria is someone who doesn't have children and doesn't have a mother or father that's still living. Uh, and then the criteria is if they have siblings. So it says, God advising you concerning the single person, if one dies and leaves no children, and in uh, 4.12, it reads, and leaves two siblings, male or female, each of them gets one six. So the way that we understood this verse is that, or this sentence of the verse, is if someone passes and has two siblings that are either both male or both female, that each of them gets one sixth of the inheritance. And it says, if there are more siblings, then the siblings equally share one-third of the inheritance. Um, and you can basically understand that it says the male gets twice the share of the female, but in aggregate amongst the siblings, they share one-third if there's more than two. Um, and then in the following verse, it says, and he had a sister, she gets half of the inheritance. So what's interesting is that it's specifying what she gets as half of the inheritance, but if a single individual who's a male uh, uh, and has one sister and the sister passes, it doesn't specify what the male gets, right? It only specifies what the female's getting. And you're seeing this consistently, that it's talking about scenarios of what the female gets, the single daughter, right? The mother, the spouse, um, the sister. These are basically emphasizing the importance of making sure that the women get a definite share. And in the following sentence in 176, it says, if there were two sisters, they get two-thirds of the inheritance. And the way we understood this is that basically you have a loner, no mother, no father that's still living, uh, no other siblings except for a single sister, that she gets two-thirds of the inheritance. And again, how awesome is this that it's talking about what the women get? Right, because you can imagine that there would be so many people who want that uh, that inheritance, who are going to try to steal it and uh, be uh, dishonest with the individual. And God is giving us the the criteria that under the circumstances there is no will, or um, after paying off all debts, or if there's additional uh, capital after a will is carried out, that the sister of a single, uh, so basically two sisters, and the only inheritor is left is one sister, that she gets two thirds. And then in the last sentence says, if the siblings are men and women, the male gets twice the share of the female. So, again, we see that uh, uh, in the case of the siblings, uh, if there's multiple, that basically the male gets twice the share of the female. But a specific share isn't uh, necessarily applied. So, one of the things, I mean, uh, God willing, uh, we'll, we'll send a link uh, to the uh, the table. It's awesome to kind of look through it and look at the verses I know it's a hard, uh, lot to try to digest over audio, uh, but nevertheless, I think it's it's warranted because God makes such an emphasis in the Quran about the distribution of inheritance uh, to to look at this and then really uh, evaluate what the the verses say and how it corresponds to the table. And if by God's leave, if you see any mistakes, don't hesitate. Let us know. Um, and one of the things that you know, the whole purpose of writing a will is for the sake of, uh, you know, taking care of our loved ones after we pass. 
uh, making sure that they're taken care of. But the best thing we can do for our children, for our parents, if we are to pass, is to be righteous. Because God is ultimately the one who takes care of them. Uh, and we see this in this example of Moses and his teacher in 1877. Uh, so they went. When they reached a certain community, they asked the people for food, but they refused to host them. Soon they found the wall about to collapse, and he fixed it. So this is uh, uh, Moses' teacher. He fixed it, and Moses said, you could have demanded a wage for that. And then afterwards, they parted company. And in 1882, Moses' teacher explains to Moses why he did what he did, why he patched that wall. It says, as for the wall, it belonged to two orphan boys in the city. Under it, there was a treasure that belonged to them. Because their father was a righteous man, your Lord wanted them to grow up and attain full strength, then extract their treasure. Such is a mercy from your Lord. I did none of that on my own volition. This is the explanation of the things you could not stand. So if we have any concerns about our loved ones after we pass, the best thing we can do is be righteous and know that for an absolute fact that God is the one who provides for them. God is the one who takes care of them. And God is making special emphasis in the sense that what to do in the case of orphans. Now you think about it, an orphan is literally the absolute most defenseless individual citizen of a society. That this is a person who has no parents, no one to basically uh, to speak on their behalf. And God is giving us extra throughout the Quran in chapter 4 in particular. Uh, it's talking about all the extra care we have to take in regards to the orphans. Um, to, and God is the one who takes care of them. And in 4, 131 and 132, it says, To God belongs everything in the heavens and the earth. We have enjoined on those who receive the scripture before you and enjoined on you that you shall reverence God. If you disbelieve, then to God belongs everything in the heavens and the earth. God is in no need praiseworthy. To God belongs everything in the heavens and the earth. And God is the only protector. God is the only one who can protect our loved ones. God is the only one who can protect ourselves. You know, we carry out this act of writing a will because it's a commandment from God. But ultimately, everything is in God's hand. God is the one that if we carry out his laws, that if we do what is uh, asked of us, that we have the utmost certainty that God is going to do his part and he's going to take care of the ones we love. And we know that God is the guarantor. In 1691, it says, You shall fulfill your covenant with God when you make such a covenant. You shall not violate the oaths after swearing by God to carry them out, for you have made God a guarantor for you. God knows everything you do. So God willing, if we, we have the utmost trust in God and we do our utmost to be the best submitters we can to please God, we can have the absolute certainty that God is going to fulfill his part of the covenant and he's going to take care of our loved ones and he's going to take care of our affairs even after we pass. And on that note, God willing, we're going to end. If you guys got any comments or questions, hit us up at QuranTalk at gmail.com. Uh, you can see the distribution tables of inheritance at QuranStudy19.com. Um, and uh, we're also on Twitter at TalkQuran. And then one final note, just to mention again, uh, we started a second podcast entitled Submitter's Perspective. It's for the uh, news publication that's been around for over 30 years, since the time of the messenger, Rashad Khalifa. Um, and each month they publish a new submitter's perspective. We are making these into an audio podcast, so you can listen to those. We are just reciting the articles. 
and uh, God willing, uh, check it out uh, on iTunes. And um, if you got any uh, comments or questions in regards to that uh, or to uh, Quran Talk, uh, definitely don't hesitate and let us know. Until next time, peace and God bless.